and welcome to the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Podcast. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> I'm Lucia Kelly, expert at applied analysis, and no doubt this Rasputin had a lot of hidden charms. Though he was a brute, I just fell into his arms. <laughs> and I'm Talia Franks, media critic, fanfic enthusiast, and I don't make empty threats. And we're here today for a Wibbly Wobbly mini soap. Well, not so many so, just the case may be. <laughs> not so many mini so. Today we'll be talking about The Power of the Doctor, which aired on October 23rd, 2022. <sighs> the last 13th Doctor episode. Be strong, folks. Be strong. It was written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Jimmy Magnetstone. To be clear, we are talking about just Power of the Doctor. We are not talking about the next time trailer so don't worry your pretty little heads there will be a different episode for that so you'll be spoiler free for talking about that trailer aside from that a reminder that time is not a straight line it can twist into any shape and as such this is a fully spoiled podcast apart from as previously stated the next time trailer so we might bring things in from later in the show or earlier in the show as the case may be, the comics, the books, the audio dramas, or even fan theories and articles. With that out of the way, leave Earth now, Doctor, or it will be the death of you, because really, honestly, truly, this is the day you die. No, not just die. This is the day that you are erased from existence forever. So let's get into this. IMDB says that this is the one where the Master brings the Daleks and the Cybermen together to wipe the Doctor and Earth from existence. Our synopsis says this is the one where the Master is only getting sexier and more unhinged. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yaz is the most confident companion we have seen to date. Jodie Whittaker is acting her ass off. Oh my god. And Basman has an ice cream date instead of saying goodbye. Not to mention Ace and Tegan are here! They are kicking ass and taking names. And I'm so 100% here for it. And there should be more integration of classic Who and New Who stuff. And I'm hoping that's what this is an indication of because I need yeah. more of it in my life. Yeah, we stand <laughs> the companion support group on this podcast. Also, I saw a lot of people on Twitter commenting about the MDC in the support group and I'm sorry to say for those of you who didn't notice it there's a laptop on that chair <laughs> people were zooming in you set the table someone doesn't turn up and you're like okay let's utilize the space it doesn't <laughs> but it is a very nice thought that the chair is for someone else who's not there like Sarah Jane or Adric or Donna, although Donna's coming or back. Martha, who, who, or Martha, who is the person that Yaz really needs to speak to right now. Yeah, no, Yaz, Yaz really needs to speak to Martha. Although in that comic that you didn't read, Yaz did meet Martha, although I'm not sure if Martha remembers it. I know that Ten didn't remember it, but I wonder if Martha remembers it. Talia from the future here. I'm speaking of the comic book, A Tale of Two Time Lords, a little help from my friends. In the book 10 and Martha meet 13 in the fam while they are stuck in the past during the events of Blink. Although it's funny, obviously the extra material isn't always accurate. 
So it's really annoying me. I didn't actually get around to reading it, but there is a book written by Sophie Aldred about the 13th Doctor and Ace. And I'm really curious about what happens in that book. You haven't read the book, have you? No. Listeners, let us know if you've read it. The book is called At Childhood's End. It was put out in 2020. And it's a 13th Doctor book. It features Graham, Yaz, and Ryan. And it's basically a meeting between Ace and the 13th Doctor. And the premise, as far as I know it, is that Ace is having a lot of nightmares. And the nightmares have something to do with Ace's life as a companion. And then there's something alien, supernatural going on or whatever. It's basically like that is the opportunity for the Doctor and Ace to reconnect. From what you're saying, it sounds like that would now be considered non-canon because this is very clearly the first time that Ace has met yeah. 13. Yeah, this and is very clearly the first time. Yeah, this is very clearly the first time that Ace has met 13 and it's fantastic. So unfortunately that book is no longer canon, but I've heard really great things about the book and now I want to read the book that is now no longer canon. <laughs> yeah like oh my gosh it ace is so queer and it just brings joy to my heart whenever she's on screen but specifically it just made it weirder when she started quote-unquote flirting with graham that felt wrong that felt wrong in my soul i don't want that for either of them <laughs> see okay that is frustrating to me that is bisexual erasure like ace is allowed to flirt with graham graham is my bisexual king i love him (laughs) oh no Um, i erased myself (laughs) i actually do i see graham as very bisexual i love him like to the extent that i love any white man in a show like i don't love that graham takes time away from yaz and ryan I definitely see him as like an older, um, like he's not even confirmed to be like, I mean, he did have that one kiss with Jack that was very much instigated by Jack, but no, I definitely headcanon Graham as being bi. I definitely ship Graham and Dan, actually. Don't look at me like that. I ship Graham and Dan. I ship it very intensely in my soul. You know that John Bishop and... Bradley Walsh only have his six year age difference, which like when you're that old is very negligible. So I'm saying it could happen. I'm just saying it's feasible. Like I see it in my heart and Ace is very queer. I definitely read her as being bi. I definitely read her as being free spirit. I don't think that she wants to be tied to any one person. I'm pretty sure she's into open relationships. So, you know, I'm cool with it. I also read Tegan as very queer, like the whole bit about two ex-husbands and an adopted son. I read a lot into that. I'm like, "Mm, okay, so like you had some failed relationships with men and then adopted your own kid. That reads very queer to me. (laughs) Oh, the Tegan in this episode is so good. I'm in love with how they did it. Tegan gets such a hard rap. It should be no surprise that she's one of my absolute favorite classic companions even aside from the fact that she's Australian which just brings joy to my heart (laughs) yeah but you're also into that gay shit and Tegan's a very queer companion yeah no I adored everything about it 
But as is our want, we've started very wibbly wobbly. I would like to go a little bit back towards the beginning. Okay. I know what your answer is going to be. But do you want to talk about Dan or do you want to talk about the master? <laughs> okay, so just real quick, talk about Dan. I'm really glad that he's gone straight up at the beginning of the episode. I'm really happy about it. He was not needed in this episode. I know that you like him, but this episode had a lot going on in it. He was not necessary. He was tangential to the plot. He just wasn't relevant. So I'm glad that he was gone at the beginning and that Jasmine had their time to shine. The master had his time to shine. Ethan Keegan had their time to shine. Dan would have made it too busy. We don't need this white man in our lives. I'm glad he's gone. And that's all I'm going to say about him. <laughs> yeah, no, from a structural point of view, it makes complete sense. There is too much going on for Dan to be in the mix. I am still sad. What I'm annoyed about is they set up like five different story hooks for him in the Halloween apocalypse. There was so much going on there for Dan and they used barely any of it. That's what pisses me off more is that the ongoing fandom judgment from Jump has been that Dan is superfluous, that he's not necessary, that it feels weird to introduce a new companion, that it feels as if they're literally just doing it so that they can have a white man on the TARDIS. And all of that criticism deserves to have its time to like be out and discussed. At the same time, if you were going to introduce a character like that, do it properly. <laughs> well, see, that's why it annoys me is because they didn't do it properly. He is completely superfluous. So mm. the fact that they introduced all these arcs for him and then didn't follow through makes him even more superfluous because mm. they introduced all this shit for him and it's not relevant and it's not necessary because they didn't need to do it in the first place but they did it anyway and then didn't end up following through with it because they never could have because they never needed to and if they hadn't in the first place it would have been fine so that's hmm. why he pisses me off is because they introduced like literally all he was good for is for making Fasman realize their feelings for each other he mm. was there to be on the Thasman train the whole time. And yeah. I feel like you could have done that with a different character. Or have the Doctor and Yaz figure it out for themselves. Yeah, or have like Vinder be that person. Like you didn't mm. need to introduce, you didn't need to introduce both Dan and Vinder. Because Vinder is a character that doesn't have a whole lot of backstory, but He's integrated really well into the series. He has just enough backstory that he's interesting and like you're curious about his backstory, but to the extent that we know about his arc, it's resolved enough in flux that we're curious about more from him, but we don't really need more from him. You know what I mean? I feel like we could have had Binder be a little bit of that person if we really needed to. We could have removed Dan, buffed up Binder a bit, and it would have had almost the same effect. Obviously, there would have had been a lot of changes. But yeah, there could have been things that were different. Speaking of Vinder, I'm very glad that my main man Vinder's back. He is fantastic. And I loved, in particular, the way that coming back and calling from the doctor 
is integrated with the Rasputin musical number. Oh my God, that musical number. So I was hanging out with my friend at the time. We were watching it together and it was hilarious. We were both about dying because it's like, you knew that as soon as he was cast as Rasputin, that there was going to be fan edits of that song. But then they didn't even need to do the fan edits because they put it in the episode itself. The joy I have seen of people sharing that clip and like the unadulterated joy of like Mm -hmm. people yelling at each other being like, no, you don't understand. This is completely unedited. This is exactly what was in the show. This is exactly what was in the show. It's giving end of the world toxic, (laughs) but better. (laughs) Also, I have beef with the fandom. So many people are like, the Rasputin thing wasn't even necessary. There was just him being extra. Why is this Rasputin thing in here? Do you guys not see the symbolism? Oh my God. The master is made to be extra. The master has always been extra. And also like Missy, I forget which one it was, but Missy also had a moment where she like played a musical number and was dancing around. I forget which episode it was but yeah like it's in the master's character and then also John Sims master did it too there was like the here comes the drum scene in the um we're going to be talking about it in season three we haven't recorded that episode yet yeah but what I'm talking about specifically is that people are like why did he choose Rasputin like that's such a weird choice I'm like no it's the perfect choice because Mm. of the layers of stuff that like okay Mm -hmm. so I'm about to go on my history rants but okay so Rasputin was this historical figure who was instrumental like instrumentally important in Russia right at the turn of the end of World War One and the fall of the Russian monarchy and like the leaps and bounds and connections in making like paralleling Rasputin and the royal family and the master and the doctor is just so beautiful. I adore it because there is so much, like I'm particularly in love with the connection it makes between the Russian royal family and the doctor because it plays into misconceptions of the doctor so well. Because Tsar Nicholas II and Anastasia and like, Nikolai and all the family because their end was so inhumane and tragic the way that they died often overplays how terrible they were as monarchs (laughs) and that colors a lot of how we view them there's a lot of sympathy and a lot of empathy for them that undercuts what led to that (laughs) And I think that's such a brilliant tie to bring to the doctor who also commits all kinds of atrocities, but because we're from their POV and Mm -hmm. because we're given so much material and frameworks to view them sympathetically, to hold the doctor accountable becomes the dissenting voice. And mm, that okay, just... But are you, like, actually comparing the doctor to the Russian monarchy? Sorry. Not... That just feels like going a bit far. 
What like, I'm I saying, know the doctor's done shit, but what I'm saying is that there are layers to this and parallels and deliberate pulls on history mm-hmm. that were put specifically into the episode. Like, well, like I, get, I get what you're saying. It's just yeah, it's reality check. Yeah. What I'm saying is that I get annoyed when people dismiss very deliberate creative and symbolic choices. No, I got you. And it frustrates me. I got you. You could dismiss it out of hand and be like, oh, lol, the master's so funny. Or you could be like, hey, maybe we should respect writer's time and Mm -hmm. like (laughs) think about, hey, that was a deliberate creative choice. Maybe we can pull some really cool analysis out of that and think about things a little bit deeper. Yeah, I loved the master in this episode though. And it wasn't just because he was sexy and unhinged. It was, I mean, it was it was because he was sexy and unhinged. Oh my God, seriously. Sasha Dewan is a threat to my asexuality. <laughs> okay, answer me this, answer me this. How is this the first rendition of The Master and the Doctor where they are played by actors of different genders and yet somehow this is the most queer rendition of them? Like the master did not know whether he wanted to fuck the doctor fuck with the doctor or fucking be the doctor and the answer was yes the answer was yeah. yes the answer was yes like i swear like 12 and missy were also different genders but that was definitely like a more heterosexual leaning relationship obviously like any relationship where the characters are queer is a queer relationship but the 12th doctor and missy definitely fell into more gendered roles i would say I'm actually planning on when I go to Galley in February, I'm going to be giving a TARDIS talk and it's going to be geared a lot towards how Phasmin is viewed differently as a doctor companion couple because it's a sapphic couple, right? With one character that is explicitly gender fluid and it's a mixed race couple. So the two people in the couple are different races compared to 10 Rose, which is a coded cishet couple and there are two white people. So that's actually a very different kind of relationship, even though Ten Rose and Phasmin are both shipped by a lot of people in the community, they're seen very differently by people who don't ship them because of the implications of that. I feel like similarly, and I'm not really going to be able to get into this in my talk because it's only like 10 minute talk, but similarly, Whitaker's doctor and Blonde's master are very queer. I feel like because... Jodie Whittaker's doctor is much more explicitly gender fluid and explicitly queer as a doctor than Capaldi's doctor. It feels very cis-coded, partially because he was a regeneration before the doctor regenerated into a woman. So when he was the doctor was like always a man. And also he's just very cis-coded in general. I don't really know anything about Peter Capaldi himself. But I know that as far as presentation as the doctor goes, it's a very masculine presentation. It's a very cis-coded presentation. I don't really know anything about Peter Capaldi's identity, so I can't say whether or not he's cis. I can't say how he identifies. But I know that as the doctor, he presents very cis-coded, even though the doctor is canonically gender fluid. Meanwhile, Missy, Missy is a master who goes by Missy, the mistress, instead of the master. She very clearly like identifies as a woman and like rejects her identity as the master as a man when she like 
switches gender rather than Jodie Whittaker's doctor who like embraces that fluidity and like doesn't really care about the fact that she used to present is male and like because you see it in like Demons of the Punjab she's just like all my references to like gender swapping or like ingest or whatever. The 13th doctor is very comfortable in her gender fluidity whereas you can tell that Missy is very uncomfortable in her gender fluidity. She's just like no I'm a woman now. And it's very strict. And then you see also with Sasha Dwan, he's very like uncomfortable in his identity. He's very uncomfortable in who he is. I feel like for him, becoming a man again is actually a downgrade. Like he's very upset about having regenerated into a male form again. When he regenerates out of being like the doctor again, He's so upset. He's like, don't let me go back to being me. Like the layers of self-loathing. I feel like the master loved being Missy so much and they hate themselves as Sasha Dwan's master. And like, there's a lot to be said about how much they hate themselves now that they're a man of color. And there's a whole like layer of stuff about that in like the racial undertones of that and how much they hate being a man of color versus being a white woman. But for me, I very much read it as gender dysphoria. When they were Missy, they felt very accepted and loved by the doctor as the 12th doctor. And the 12th doctor like very clearly loved Missy. That was the closest they got back to their old friendship. And now as like Sasha Dwan's master, he just hates himself so, so much. And that sort of conversation is sort of continued in the costume choices, which mm-hmm. I adored. So there's mm-hmm. an interview with Sasha from 2020, which I'll try to find, but he basically talked about how they chose the costume for the mm-hmm. master and how he was very explicit in wanting to take different aspects from past doctor costumes so in particular Mm -hmm. he really wanted to have the lapels that the first doctor had so he could stick his thumbs in and rest them there and there are other choices there too and then you see that taken a step further again when he steps out of the TARDIS with that mishmash outfit with literally like something from every single doctor and it just Mm -hmm. it's such a sort of tragic continuation of that storyline with Missy that it feels like since regenerating like it's this need to become more and more like the doctor to literally become the doctor Mm -hmm. has become such a priority for the master Mm -hmm. in a way that I'm not sure even he fully registers yeah and it's just his little hood his little earring I loved it (laughs) but also hot. Yeah, it's just really, like, I love the master. I love seeing him on screen, but also it hurts to see how much he's hurting and to see how much he lashes out at other people. And I just want to give him a hug. I know that sounds like he's like an evil homicidal maniac, but... But um, no, I don't think it's out of line because Sasha Dewan brings such an empathy to that character Mm -hmm. he plays it to perfection in Mm -hmm. terms of finding that line and finding that balance he is both entirely sympathetic 
and utterly unhinged and dangerous. And putting him and Jodie Whittaker against each other is just beautiful. It's just like, it's magic. The scene in the lecture room, holy shit. The way that they both are demanding the space is like Jodie fucking Whittaker, the glare, the power she holds in that scene. My entire body was goosebumps. It's wild. Yeah, in the way that he says to Yaz, like, well, now she can't go. She knows I don't make empty threats, but now that I've trapped her, I know her too well. And also later when she says, we used to be friends, and I'm like, oh, and also like the callbacks when he's like, oh, the unit bunker. And I forget which character it was. It was like, he can't get up to much down there. And I'm like, have you seen like, which episode was it? Which episode was it? It was the third Doctor episode with Joe Grant. It's the one with the sword fight. Because he was in the unit bunker for a long time. It's a famous mm. episode. It's the one with the sea devils and the master teams up with the sea devils. I think it might just be called the sea devils. Basically, the master was trapped in a unit bunker for a while, and he basically, like, converts the people that were supposed to be, like, detaining him, and then he teams up with the sea devils and escapes, and he and the doctor have a massive sword fight. But basically, the master can get up to a lot of shit in the unit bunker. I think it might just be called the sea devils. I did a whole live sheet of it. You can read it on our website, actually. We have a page that links to all of our live tweets. Lucia stopped doing live tweets because she hates them, but I still do them occasionally. Yeah, no, I can't do it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just need to focus on the episode. I can't be entertaining at the same time. But, oh my gosh, it's so... The way that he gets out, like the fact that he preys on Tegan's loneliness... Like, I love it. It's perfect in terms of understanding the Doctor and how they operate and the emotional distress that she is perfectly happy to leave companions in. I feel like it's especially cruel, though, to do it to Tegan, considering what he did to her aunt. Like, the taunt about how's Auntie Vanessa. (laughs) It's brutal. Also, though... I'm a little confused because we've confirmed in this episode that it's reversible because that's how the Cyberman plan works in the first place. Yeah. So they're savable. Let's not throw a funeral yet. Like when he's like, oh, be sure to tell the seismologist's loved ones. See, but that's actually the worst part for me is that he confirms that it's reversible, which means that all of those people that they just assumed were dead are not actually dead which I think is the cruelest thing for him to do to them is to confirm that all these people that they thought he had killed are not actually dead. I'm just hoping that somewhere along the line, the doctor is able to bring Aunt Vanessa back because Lord knows Tegan needs the support. And I'm sure Vanessa would love to no longer be a tiny doll. (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted to note the parallels between the Quarinks being a being of immense power and potential who was really trapped and used for their power 
as a vessel to power others, like a child who was used as a vessel to nefarious ends that the doctor had to rescue. And then rescuing them caused the doctor's death. And Mm. I think that's really interesting parallel to the doctor themselves who was kidnapped and used for the Time Lords to gain their power of regeneration. And I just think that's a really interesting parallel, especially when you consider that the doctor says that the pourings took the form of something that the doctor was most wanting to protect, which ended up being a child and specifically a child who was a child of color, which I think is really interesting that when given something to protect, the doctor most wants to protect a child that's really interesting and powerful to me, especially when you think about how they've done studies of like black boys are seen as older than white boys of a similar age. Like people will see pictures and they'll have to guess the ages and they will guess that white boys are younger than black boys. Like they will see them as older than they are. And that's often like when you see stories of how white terrorists are seen as, oh, he was just a kid. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, people of color are labeled as dangerous and thugs and terrible and be the exact same age, which is really powerful to me to see this child who's a person of color to be seen as something to be valued and protected. Children of color are not always seen as something to be protected by white people. So that's where I saw it. (laughs) I find what you took from it really interesting and it's an angle that I didn't see I was really struck also by the fact that they cast a young black child as the sort of protective screening for the quarants I was struck by two things one it's wild to me that they introduced this idea that it's specifically an illusionary field that makes you automatically want to protect it which to me would mean that it would look different to everyone like Mm -hmm. it would look different depending on who looked at it and Mm -hmm. that is such a like good character and plot beat to jump on and Mm -hmm. there could have been some really cool stuff where like the doctor and Yaz saw different things Mm -hmm. Um, and that could also be used to explore their relationship as well in terms of what they value Um, but obviously Mm -hmm. that episode was jam-packed and we didn't have a lot of time to do any of that kind of stuff it's just weird that they introduced that element and then didn't capitalize on it Mm -hmm. Um, and the other element that was it's I find it really interesting that you used the word valuable to describe the quarrying's because I was really struck by how a lot of the language around it was referring to it almost like a tool, especially like it's so explicit with the the literal chains holding this child Mm -hmm. down and just the sort of incredibly straightforward metaphor and we don't have time, but there's a history of Black people and Black bodies being used specifically within the sci-fi and fantasy genre as power sources and like being Mm -hmm. connected to electricity and 
being quite literally utilized mm-hmm. um, and the parallels there between how black bodies are seen as power sources and batteries as opposed to people. Yeah. Yeah, because that was the other thing that I was going to say is that on the flip side of how I appreciated that from the doctor's point of view, what was worth protecting would be a child and specifically what is worth protecting is a Black child. The reason I was specifically saying a child of color is because it's very clear that this child is mixed (laughs) and it's like, I don't know the entire ethnic background of this particular child. I think it's really important to recognize that there's a diversity of ethnic backgrounds. I'm also a very young child. So I don't know how they identify and I don't know how their parents identify, but also there is the thing of like the Corings was referred to as cargo. It's possible that other people weren't viewing the Corings as a child. They were viewing them as, I don't know, like a pile of gold or something because they weren't viewing them as an autonomous being. They were just viewing them as something super valuable or something that they wanted to protect but they view the corings as something to own and it's only really the doctor who's viewing the corings as someone whereas the master and everyone else is really viewing the corings as something rather than someone and it's really the doctor who's viewing them as a person especially like seeing them in chains it's very much giving slavery and like very much using the black body versus actually valuing someone like the doctor clearly does. I did definitely take note of the narrative choices. And aside from all that, I did really appreciate that after they established that the Corings was not actually a child, that it was the doctor who was placing it on them. I appreciated that they then turned it into a big glowy ball of stuff so that we didn't have to like deal with the trauma of seeing a chained up black child for the entire episode because that would have sucked. Yep. Also the fact that it freed itself and was to be understood just floating around the universe doing its own thing now which love that love that for them (laughs) love that for them and they got to burn that thing to the motherfucking ground you also love that love that for them (laughs) so two more things i just want to make sure we get i want to talk about ai doctor and i want to make sure we make time for basman so which one do you want to talk about first we're definitely going to talk about basman so let's talk about the ai okay Uh, (laughs) i love ai doctor Mm-hmm. I thought I loved AI. I know that you don't like AIs, but I thought AI Doctor was great. I thought AI Doctor was so fun. So to backtrack, actually, I was really hyped when we first saw the other doctors in the doctor's consciousness. And the doctor got to talk to their past selves. I thought that was the only way that we were going to see the past doctors. So then when we saw the past doctors manifest themselves as the AI and talk to Tegan and Ace, I lost my shit. I absolutely lost my shit. So I'm very hype about it. I started tearing up during some of those conversations. The way that the AI is used, I don't have an issue with. It's basically pulling the same stuff they did at the end of Flux, right? Being like, well, the doctor needs to be in these multiple different places. So how do we make that work? It's serving the same purpose. It's just basically making Um, it a multi-doctor episode without really making it a multi-doctor episode. Yeah. And I also absolutely adore the fact that They utilize that both from a structural and plot point of view and also from a character point of view in terms of giving both Tegan and Ace that closure that they both clearly needed. I teared up when the doctor called Tegan Braveheart again and when 
oh god when seven says that they're ace and i'm like oh my gosh my heart like that's all beautiful that's all gorgeous i also really loved how they were able to use the fugitive doctor to trick the master i thought that was brilliant especially when she's like you didn't even check for a hologram (laughs) (laughs) i thought you were smart (laughs) yeah no from a structural plot character point of view love everything about the ai my thing about ai specifically is consent (laughs) basically i have a really big issue with the fact that the doctor put this ai in yaz tegan and ace without their consent without their knowledge and then like we have absolutely no confirmation that they ever took it out again um so and we were talking in the in dming each other you found that idea really sweet i find it horrific i didn't um, say i found it sweet i said you did that the I, big eyes as an emoji reaction yeah <laughs> which i thought that it would wait did i do the big eyes as an emoji reaction i thought i did the few yeah. things as an emoji reaction no, it's this being like, oh, so it's the emoji. No, I thought I, I did the thinking. I thought with, I did the thinking face as an emoji reaction. I meant to do the thinking no, it's face. No, it's the it's the oh. No, I meant emoji. to do the thinking face. I just put it. I put it as. They're both frequent emo- emojis that I do. So I'm gonna fix that <laughs> for posterity. It's supposed to be the thinking <laughs> face. Anyway. <Okay>. Anyway. <laughs> I just clicked the wrong emoji. They're both emojis I use a lot. Anyway, the point is, I think that would actually be a cool idea. I don't think the doctor would leave it in without asking. The doctor made time for freaking ice cream. I think they would have made time for asking if they wanted the AI app. I hope so. I do love that it's called out just a little bit because when Yaz is like, you didn't think to tell us. And then the AI is like, whoa, this is a big reaction. Like the awkwardness, the lampshading on how inadequate an apology it was and how shitty it was for the doctor to do that. Loved that. Yeah, I think definitely like for me, given the way that Yaz had that reaction, I think if Yaz and Tegan and Ace wanted it removed, they would have asked the doctor to remove it. I just, I don't fuck with AI. I don't fuck with it. I know you don't fuck with AI. That's why I said, like, I know you don't fuck with it. However, I think that if they didn't ask the doctor to remove it, which if I had an AI of the doctor implanted in my shoulder, I would not ask the doctor to remove it because that's really fucking useful. Like, hello, Tegan was in like a serious situation, didn't know what to do. AI doctor just popped up and was like, hey, just press these buttons and then you'll defeat the Cyberman. I'm sorry, that's really fucking, that's more useful than Jarvis. Like, I'm sorry, sorry to this Jarvis, but seriously, to have an AI doctor just hanging out with you over your shoulder whenever you need them, I think it would be really fucking cool. But it's not, it's not just hanging out, it's like becoming part of you is also the thing. Cause like the doctor in that same scene is talking about like, I'm looking through your eyes, I'm using your nervous system, like I'm taking in your sensory input is now mine. And also how sentient is that thing and how aware is it and what activates it? There's a part of you that's consistently under observation. I don't fuck with that. 
yeah i don't care i'd be cool with it i'd enjoy it honestly it'd be like having a friend with me everywhere i go i'm a deeply lonely person (laughs) (laughs) so am i i still need my alone time i need to know that there's no one else around me sometimes no i need to well i'd need someone like watching my back all the time like when i'm sleeping like what if someone wanted to like attack me while i'm sleeping then like the doctor could pop up and then wake me up or threaten the person who's attacking me they wouldn't know it's a hologram we are deeply different people we are (laughs) deeply different people yes (laughs) i've said this before i would love to have a little doctor hanging out my shoulder like watching my every move, watching out for me. It's like a little guardian angel. Anyway, Fasman. <laughs> Fasman. I loved this ending for Fasman. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. didn't like it, but the only thing I wish is that I wish they'd had a hug. I'm just going to pretend they had a hug off screen. I know that Jodie Whittaker and Amanda Gill hugged each other, so I'm just going to pretend that Yaz and the doctor also hugged each other. <laughs> Did you peep the fact that when Yaz was fireman carrying the doctor, she like kissed her on the cheek? I sure did. It was, I sure did. It was so cute. And like Yaz earlier was like, make time. And then the doctor did make time. She was like mid-regeneration and she's still like, what flavor ice cream do you want? And then they're like sitting oh on the top God. of the TARDIS looking at the earth. The tenderness in that scene. Jody. Yeah. It's a very deeply romantic ship. And this was a very deeply romantic scene. And I know that a lot of people aren't going to see it that way because there was no big dramatic kiss at the scene of the regeneration. There was no declaration of I love you. There was no Yasmin Khan fading into the distance. But like, I feel like this was an even better resolution than any of that. This was Mm -hmm. like the doctor and Yaz parting on their own terms This was Yaz not being stranded on a parallel earth, not losing all her memory, not getting trapped in the past, not being turned into like a puddle of space oil traveling through the cosmos or whatever. She's just like walking out and not even walking out in her own terms in anger, just walking out on her own terms, being like, I'm confident in myself. I know that the doctor's going to be okay. They're just going to be different and I'm going to like walk away and The doctor is not one for saying goodbyes. And even though Yaz wants that goodbye, wants that full closure, she's not going to insist on it because she knows it's not what the doctor wants. So she says, let's not say goodbye. She's giving the doctor what she needs because the doctor's given her what she wants. Like she's made time for her. She's made time for that one last ice cream, that one last looking at the big giant earth in space. They've not exchanged their I love yous or whatever, but they had at the end of Legend of the Sea Devils, that beach scene, they had that heart-to-heart conversation where the doctor said, if it was with anyone, it would be with you, but I can't do that. And Yaz is respecting the doctor's boundaries. She's saying Mm -hmm. like, I know you can't do that. I know you can't be with me. We've had that conversation already. These are the last moments she has with the doctor. She's not going to bring that up again. She's just going to enjoy the last moments with the doctor in the same way that they've always had that back and forth, had that camaraderie. That's just a really beautiful ending for me. And like their Mm -hmm. last moments with each other are just 
seeing each other. Yaz doesn't want to see the doctor die, become another person. The doctor doesn't want to have to put Yaz through that either. It's just a really beautiful sequence for me. And I just really appreciated the whole thing. And I thought it was a really good send off and it left me feeling really full and I really appreciated it. I knew Yaz is going to be okay. The doctor is going to be the doctor, their version of okay anyway. And yeah, it just left me feeling really good at the end of the episode. Yeah, no, I would definitely argue that the way that Phasman ended, like you said, a lot of people were kind of rooting for that big, dramatic, romantic moment. I think the fact that it was a series of small gestures instead shows a level of maturity and growth from the doctor's point of view. Like a lot of the problems that we've talked about in terms of introducing this element of the doctor as a romantic candidate for a companion in the new series is that there is an inherent level of immaturity and refusal to acknowledge power dynamics there that make those relationships inherently unstable and, to overuse a phrase, problematic. The fact that Thasman ends on such mutual terms is really good (laughs) and really beautiful. Uh huh. And it also, I don't know, there was something about how that final goodbye in the park was framed and shot that reminded me so viscerally of school reunion and when Ten says goodbye to Sarah Jane. Absolutely. It was the same for me also. Yeah. And I think that was a beautiful choice and I'm really happy with it. Speaking of parallels, I really love the parallel between having all the extended fam around the TARDIS and the parallel between that and Journey's End. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really beautiful parallel. I really love when Who calls back on itself like that and it didn't even do it late, but just the idea of the doctor having this extended family and it's the same thing, right? Like that scene with yeah, saying goodbye reminded you of school reunion, but also that reminds me of at the end of Journey's End, how Yaz is going off in the park, but she meets up with Dan and Graham. The doctor ends up dropping off Yaz at the companion support group. Like, I don't know if she knows about it. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but she ends up dropping off Yaz with all the rest of the companions. And at the end of Journey's End, a bunch of companions leave the TARDIS together and they're going off in a park together. And like Mm. the idea is that they're going off as a group and that they're like staying in touch. And so that's a really nice parallel for me because at the end of Journey's End, there's no follow-up with that. You don't actually like get the confirmation that the companions really stuck together. You see a little bit of it because of Martha does show up in Torchwood, but the really great thing here is that you have that whole companion support group. You really see like the cohesiveness of it. Like these are all the companions together, but also the fact that all the companions in the support group, except for Yaz, Graham, and Dan are classic companions 
really hammers home the fact that terrible things happening to the companions when they leave is a new who phenomenon because mm. all the companions that are modern companions in that support group are 13 doctor companions because the only companions that are candidates for that support group that aren't 13 doctor companions are martha and i think it was confirmed that bill went back to earth in like a extended universe thing it's confirmed that bill left her space girlfriend and went back to earth but like it was literally like had to be retconned that like bill was okay and was able to go back to earth terrible things happened to modern who companions but that is a new phenomenon. All those classic companions are able to be there. And there probably would have been more if they weren't all so old. That sounds bad. But if there weren't so many classic <laughs> companions that were like older now and like probably I think some of them aren't acting anymore. Some of them have sadly passed. And also the fact that there are a lot of classic companions that were like literally old as in they came from other eras or they came from other planets. So like they wouldn't be able to be on Earth. Or they were time wolf, like Ramon. Yeah. I mean, they got Ian there, which was so beautiful. Also the moment where he was like, the doctor's a woman? Yeah. I actually really liked that. I loved his delivery of it. Yeah. I loved his delivery because he was surprised, but he wasn't like mad about it. He was just like, oh, cool. I love seeing the companions' reactions to the fact like, oh, the doctor got an upgrade. But yeah, no, we can talk about the bad thing now, if you want. <laughs> bad thing. What a way to frame it. I just wanted to make sure that we talked about the companion support group because I'm so happy about the companion support group. I want to talk specifically about the actual Jody's send-off. No, okay, yeah. So Jody's send-off was good. I loved like the fact that it was at sunrise the like doctor whoever I'm about to be tag you're it I loved that I loved how calm the regeneration was I feel like we've come to view regeneration as an inherently traumatic and violent event yeah and that's certainly a way to view it that makes sense because it is you regenerate when you die there is an element of violence there I loved that it was actually for Jody a moment of reflection and peace mm-hmm. and connecting back with nature. Like the quote she says, the bloomiest bloom, it's actually from an interview with Dennis Potter, who was dying of cancer at the time. And he, it's a gorgeous interview. I'll link it in our Twitter so people can read it. But it's talking about a lot of these themes and conversations and the reflections he had at the end of his life and in particular connecting back with nature um and I don't know it it really got to me it was so and I hope that it will be indicative of more peaceful regenerations to come. I think that it can be a really beautiful step forward. I also just want to, I just want to note, she regenerated because of the master. 
12th Doctor also regenerated because of the Master. Uh, well, he turned out got shot by a Cyberman, but he regenerated in a Master story. The 10th Doctor regenerated in a Master story, technically because of the radiation and Will, but that all happened because of the Master. So I'm saying like 10, 12, and 13 all regenerated because of the Master. Yep, but we can't talk about that because guess what? <laughs> 10 is now 14. <laughs> Although actually, okay, so I will say, while I am annoyed, I'm actually not as annoyed as I could be. Interesting. Okay, so here's why I'm not actually that mad. Because it's the 60th anniversary year. And mm -hmm. I feel like 60th anniversary, people are going to expect a lot of fan service. They're going to expect a lot of big production. It's going to be a very heavy burden to carry. And that is a lot to put on the shoulders of a brand new doctor. Because Shutigat was an amazing actor, but he's already got a lot against him from the beginning. Joe Martin is the first Black doctor. I want to own that. She's amazing. However, Shutigat was going to be the first Black doctor mm -hmm. who's a main doctor. Mm -hmm. He's also an immigrant. Like people say he's like not from there, even though I'm pretty sure he like grew up there his whole life. So the point is like, people are already upset about that. People are upset about the fact that he's black. People are upset about the fact that he doesn't have as long and illustrious history as David Tennant or Peter Capaldi. People are really pissed off about him just like existing as the doctor in the first place. So trying to make his first year as the doctor be the 60th anniversary year would be kind of a shit show for him. It would be just a lot of pressure to put on a brand new doctor in the first place, let alone the first black doctor, the first immigrant doctor, the first doctor who's so young. He's literally the youngest person who's ever been cast as the doctor. He's also the first millennial doctor. You know how many people hate millennials. He basically has so much stuff stacked against him. I'm not mad about the fact that there's not like a whole transition. I think David Tennant has a lot of star power. He's the most well-known of all the doctors. I think People, especially all the people who have hated Jodie Whittaker's season, have hated all that. They're going to want their David Tennant security blanket back for a little while before we can like give them more change. And I'm like, okay, they can have their David Tennant security blanket back for three episodes and then we can go back to having the kind of Doctor Who that I really enjoy. The fact is, I really like David Tennant. I really like Catherine Tate. Ten and Donna is one of my all-time favorite companion pairings. Like, I feel like they are really well together. Is this going to fix Donna's arc, which I hated how it ended? I'm not going to be mad about it, okay? I'm not going to be mad about it if Donna gets her memory back and we fix that shit show that was her ending. I'm actually going to be really pleased. So I am not actually as pissed off about this as I could be. And I think it'll give Shuti Gatwa a nice clean slate to start as the 15th Doctor. I can understand objectively the necessity for this. However, I am pissed off <laughs> that there is a necessity for this. I am desirous of a world in which we could have gone straight from a woman doctor to a person of color doctor. I am mad as hell that we don't live in that kind of world. However, I can objectively recognize that we do not live in that world and that this is the best course of action to set up Shutigawa for his 
best possible, to set him up as best as we possibly can for a life as the 15th doctor, this is the best way to do it. Makes me mad as hell, but I recognize that this is the best way to do it. That's me in my soapbox. <laughs> yep, no, like you've said, you've said everything that I was going to say. Like, um, <laughs> um, this is a really smart marketing choice and that's what it is. This is officially saying goodbye to Chibnall. This is a signal to people who have not been watching the show, who have fallen off since Moffat, since Chibnall. This is the security blanket. This is the everything's going to be okay now. And it fucking sucks. Yep. Again, I also love David Tennant. I think he's a brilliant actor and I love for him that he gets to keep coming back because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> But also, he's had his time, and it should be Shitty's time. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I did actually think that I know these teeth line was kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> I also think bringing 10 slash, quote unquote, 14 slash, I've seen so many attempted names to try. What are we going to call this tenant? 10 like, team? I've seen four ten like it's I think ten three is actually I think is actually my favorite although I I thought ten teen was fun yeah I think this could also be as much as it is just blatant marketing shtick I think it could also be a really interesting character space to explore because as we've talked about 10 is one of the most emotionally avoidant and therefore presenting as immature doctors of the modern who. And if we can use the fact that the doctor has brought back this face for a reason, sort of paralleling that to casting Capaldi as the doctor, as this sort Mm -hmm. of visual recognition and memory if we can tie that to real concrete sustained growth for the doctor this could be my favorite art. yeah if we can actually use that to really dig deep into the emotional psyche of the doctor and work through some of their shit i'll never say another bad against it <laughs> so yeah. if that's where they're going with it i love it if it is just purely fan service i'll be disappointed <laughs> so is this episode going to be fabulous or foul fabulous fabulous absolutely fabulous <laughs> i know it wasn't really a question like i feel like it was not actually a question but it had to be established. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, it's just part of our formula. We have to say it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, 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 no. We have to say the thing out loud. And the thing is that this episode was fabulous. Fabulous. I cried. <laughs> I was I like, teared up, which is big for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't actually cry, but like my soul was overcome and like mm. I was overcome with emotion. And like it was raining, so the tears. The sky was crying. The sky was crying for me. But yeah, no, fabulous, 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 fabulous. So much fabulous.
that much fabulous. How could it not be fabulous? Joe Martin's in it. He's fabulous. <laughs> no, but seriously, like the acting, honestly, once we review this episode for real, I'm gonna convince you to let me give the acting a six. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It was so good. It was so, so good. Anyway, that's all. That's all I had to say about that. It was fabulous. Fabulous. Chef's kiss. Amazing. Yeah, so I think that's basically everything I wanted to say about this episode. This has been a very long mini-sode. We are going to talk more about our thoughts about 10-3 in the trailer for what's happening in 2023 in our next mini-sode, which is actually going to be a mini-sode because the trailer is only 15 seconds long, so... I doubt we'll be able to turn that into an hour. So that's going to be coming soon. I know that we said season three was going to come out on November 3rd. That was very ambitious of us. Sweet summer children that we were. We do have another bonus episode recorded, actually, that was supposed to go out before this. That actually doesn't even have Lucia on it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It has a surprise special guest that you've actually already heard before that is going to sound kind of outdated because it was recorded before Power of the Doctor. But that's going to come out probably sometime in November. And then... Our actual season three will be coming out in December, but exciting news. You probably saw it in the show notes. So this is not really a surprise to those of you who read the show notes, but we have a Patreon now. Yeah. So if you would like to become patrons, which we would like for you to become patrons. We would appreciate it. You can join our Patreon. You'll gain access to our fledgling Discord, where currently it's us, our patrons. And then we are also inviting people who are guests on the podcast to join the Patreon Discord. <laughs> Not all guests will be joining the Discord, but people who are guests are invited to join the Discord. So some guests are part of the Discord. Head on over to patreon.com slash wigglypod and please support us we really appreciate it thank you yes please <laughs> would love to get paid to do this <laughs> it's a labor of love but we would love to also get paid <laughs> yeah it's a labor of love and also i have a part-time job but i uh this is most of what i do and i don't get paid for it you're also paying for my new mic setup which would be <laughs> stunning <laughs> Yeah, once we have patrons and we have revenue, we will release a financial disclosure of what mm -hmm. exactly gets paid for with Patreon. Anyway, thank you so much for staying with us and listening along. We're going to go now, but the next episode where we talk about the trailer should be coming out literally so, so soon. Yeah, um, we'll probably release it just like a couple of days after this one, so you'll be hearing our dulcet tones in your delighted ears very soon and then the other bonus episode will come out in a couple weeks and then season three will definitely maybe be coming out in december yeah definitely maybe probably we are gonna talk about martha soon it's gonna happen <laughs> and we have a special guest for that episode we really do we promise yep <laughs> going to be fun it's going to be cool yeah. anyway take care of yourselves and we will see you next time bye, bye. thank you for listening to the wibbly wobbly timey wimey podcast 
We hope you enjoyed this adventure with us through space and time. You can find us elsewhere on the internet on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at WibblyPod. Follow us for more Wibbly Wobbly content. You can find out more information about us and our content on WibblyWobblyTummyWarmy.net and full transcripts for episodes at WibblyWobblyTummyWarmy.net slash transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can also send us an email at WibblyWobblyTummyWarmyPod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and other platforms as it helps other people find us and our content. If you'd like to support us, you can send us a donation at paypal.me slash wibblypod. Special thanks to our editor, Dee, who has been a vital member of the Wibbly Wobbly team. That's all for now. Catch you in the time vortex.